return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. Morning. God bless you for coming. Um, Shall we bow our heads for a word of prayer before we start our Bible study? We give you glory and thank you, our Most High God, for today. We give you praise for the gift of life. We are grateful for we are in your presence. We are asking that you come and take absolute control of our gathering today. We commit our discussion, our study into your hands. We are praying that Holy Spirit give us grace, give us understanding of your word. Use me as a vessel to facilitate this Bible study. At the end of the day, may our lives be blessed and impacted. That all glory and honor will be given to you in Jesus' name. <coughs> Amen. So... So today we'll be talking about the believer's weapons. Okay, and we'll read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Okay. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Amen. When you read the NIV, Bible says that for the weapons we use for our warfare are not of that of the world. Amen. And it, is, it has divine power to pull down strongholds. Okay, so this week has been an interesting and sad week. You know, globally, um, you, we hear of Russia and Ukraine crisis. Um, Russia attacking Ukraine. And it's leading to so many, you know, negative effects and impacts on the citizens of Ukraine. I was watching the news and, you know, I saw buildings and properties destroyed by the guns and the bombs, you know, Russia keeps throwing, and, and people are running for their lives. You know, you could see women and children crying, you know, as journalists are following them, trying to seek their opinion about what is happening, and they are crying, and a lot of them are saying, where do we go? We don't have any place to go. They can't go to the airport and fly to nearby countries, and, and many people are, you know, hiding underground, and some are even in the subways, and it's, it's, it's so pathetic. And I was listening to a comment that the Ukraine president was making, and he was like soliciting for help, wants the world to come to their aid. And, you know, actually he wants troops, you know, nations to send troops to support them fight the war, you know. And... And, but there are, there are nations that are supporting, you know, I, I read the U.S. is supporting them, you know, in terms of firepower and all that. And if you listen to them carefully, I, I, I listened to one of their ministers who was saying the world is not reacting as they were expecting them to react. So technically, even though U.S. and other big nations like the U.K. are supporting in terms of, you know, firepower and all that, they wished armies will come and join them help defeat the Russians, or at least, you know, intervene and stop the war. And then I was just thinking about all these happenings, and I was just looking at, you know, something done in my spirit about how, you know, limited we are as humans, you know. 
US, U.S. has, you know, so much power, so much ammunition, they can go and help. But no nation wants to inter interfere in this crisis. And then something just dropped in my heart that we, we actually have a very powerful army here on earth. An army, you know, that does not need physical presence, but then their impact can be felt. And then what is that army? That army is the church. So in the midst of all these things, even as the Ukrainian government is looking for armies to come, you know, physically and then help them win the war. And people are trying to stay back because they don't want to interfere in, in, in their issues. The church is actually making an impact. The church is the only army that should not be there physically. But even through our prayers, we believe that God is working. So we, we really have a very powerful army and that is the church. And, and if the church is an army, then it means that you and I, as, as children of God, as soldiers, as soldiers. When you read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, you know, Paul was, was teaching Timothy so many things. He was admonishing him and teaching him things about the ministry. And one of the things he taught him was, he made him understood the fact that as a child of God and as a church leader, he is a soldier. So he told him that no soldier, you know, interferes himself with civilian affairs. And that if you do that, you are not going to please the, the general who enlisted you into the army. Okay, so we are, we are soldiers, and the church as a unit is an army. When you read Matthew 16, 18 to 19, Matthew 16, 18 to 19, something happens. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. You know? So this, this story talks about Jesus Christ asking his disciples, whom do people say I am? You know? and, and, and some were saying that people say you are Elijah, this is you are Jeremiah, some say you are John the Baptist, and some say you are, the, you are some of the other, you can be any of the other prophets. And then Jesus poses this question to them. Whom do you think I, I am? You've been with me for a while. You've worked with me. And Bible says that Peter filled with the Holy Spirit gave a very great answer. He says that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know? and, and, and Jesus was telling him that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the Spirit of the Lord. You know? He said that on this rock, which is Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. You know, it talks about how militant the church is. You know, the, the church actually has a purpose. The purpose of the church is that we have been saved to save others. We have been called to call others. So the enemy's, you know, plans and his schemes are just to prevent souls from coming to Christ. So always the enemy is, you know, gripping people, you know, putting people in a state where they are not going to give their life to Christ Jesus. But as a church, God has equipped us as an army that we have so much power, we have so much authority, that we can even enter the gates of hell and snatch souls from fire. That is the power and the authority God has given to us as a church. So, so as a church, we are an army. And, and, and Bible says that he has given us power. When you read the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says that you shall receive power, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. So we have been given enough power by the Holy Spirit and what we do is that as, 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 as an army or as soldiers, we, we break through the gates of hell, like I said, and then we snatch souls from fire. And we, we have weapons that we use. We have weapons we use as believers. And 
One, one of the weapons you can see that we use as believers is, is the word of God, a godly life, and then prayer. Word of God, godly life, and prayer. Anytime there is a war, anytime there is, there is a battle, there is always a reason why nations fight. So for instance, in this Ukraine-Russian fight, people are saying that uh, Russia thinks that there is a region in Ukraine that belongs to them, so they are going to claim it. Others also believe that because Ukraine wants to join NATO, that is why Russia wants to prevent that, and they want to oust the president and get somebody, a different person, who loves the East rather than the West to be a president. So many, so many theories. But always, always there is a reason. There is a reason for a war. And for we, as, as believers or as a church, the main reason why the enemy fights against us is because you know, he wants to propagate the kingdom of darkness as against the kingdom of light. So that you and I will lose our salvation. You and I will not be able to stand firm in our faith. You know? And then secondly, he does not also want souls to be won. He does not want souls to be won. But when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, you know, what we just read, the Bible says that our weapons, the weapons of our warfare, are not carnal. When you read the NIV, it says that the weapons that we use for our war is not that of the world. But it has potent divine power, you know, potent divine power to save. So unlike the armies of this world, which relies on ammunition, which relies on AK-47, which relies on nuclear bombs and all those, you know, artilleries, for we as children of God, we wage war with the word of God. We wage war with the enemy with a godly life. We wage war with the enemy with prayer. So these are the three, you know, weapons of the believer I want to talk about this morning. So the word of God, godly living, and then prayer. You know, when you read Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13, the Bible talks about a whole lot of 13 to 18. You know, I have just summarized it into these three, the word of God, godly living, and prayer, because all of them can be found in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13. He said that, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having gathered your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with, praying always with all prayer and supplications in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. So when you, when you, pick, when you pick up these, these armor that the word of God is talking about, all these armor, you realize that you can classify it into these three groups I spoke about. The word of God, godly living, and then prayer. You know, when the Bible talks about the belt of truth as a weapon for the believer, you realize that it's actually talking about the word of God. Because in, in the olden days, during Paul's era, the Roman soldiers, you know, had their thick, you know, belt, heavy belt. And that belt was supposed to hold their sword and then their weapons. Okay. So spiritually, the belt of truth is a spiritual armor that holds the sword of the spirit. And we know that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So there is this link between truth and the word of God. You know, John 17, 17, Bible says that sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it means that for a believer, 
of a child of God, one of the cardinal weapons we wage war with is the word of God. You should have abundance of the word of God in you. Without the word of God, it's going to be very difficult to withstand the fiery darts of the enemy. You know, it is very crucial for the believer. And it helps us also to overcome, you know, the lies and then the deceptions of the enemy. When you read Ephesians 4.14, Bible talks about the fact that people who do not know the word of God, they are like children who are tossed to and fro. And they are carried about by every wind of doctrine, by every trickery of men. You know, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Because, so people, people, because they don't know the word of God, they have not gathered their belt of truth. People come with so many doctrines and sway them away. People, you know, just embrace anything the enemy throws at them. Because they do not know the word of truth. That is the reason why we have so much suicide, you know, in, in, in the system. That is why we have so much depression all over the place. That is why there is so much fear. There is so much anxiety. People are helpless, you know. It is just because people do not know the truth. Believers should know the word of God. Believers should know the word of God. It helps us to overcome these lies, these deceptions. For if you know the word of God, which tells you that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. When the enemy puts that, that mindset in you that you cannot do anything, you, 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 you don't measure up, you know, you, you can't do anything. There is nothing good in you. You know the word of God, which is the truth. All that the enemy is saying are lies. Because the Bible says that he is the father of lies. But the word of God is the truth. And what is the truth saying about you and I? That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You know, the word of God is saying that let the weak say I am strong. So even when you feel like you are down, when the, when the enemy is battering you, you hold the word of truth, which is the word of God. It tells you that you are strong, you are healthy, you are well. And the word of God is effective and powerful. And that becomes the order of the day in your life. In John 8, 32, Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So if we need freedom from the shackles of the enemy, if we need freedom, you know, from the plots and schemes of the enemy, if we can really wage a war, then we need the word of God. We need the word of God. Bible also talks about the sword of the spirit, which also is the word of God. That is why I said that when you read everything, you classify it the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, you know. A sword is very, very important for a soldier. You know, a soldier always needs a sword for war. It is in recent times that we use guns and all that. But in Paul's era, based on his description, he realized that the major ammunition or the major tool they used for war was the sword and the shield and the spear and all that. It is used for defense and it is also used for, for offense. And in the olden days, the Romans always had a two-edged sword, you know, they weren't using like machetes or kitchen knives. Kitchen knives have just one, one sharp end, you know, and then the other end is blunt. Machetes normally have a sharp cutting end and then a blunt end. But the sword that, are, that is used for, for war, for battle, is a double-edged sword. It can cut on that side and can cut on that side. And that is how it is effective, you know, for, for piercing the enemy, for cutting through the enemy, and for winning battles. So... So, in the same way, the Bible says that even the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. You know, just look at how sharp these physical swords are used for battle. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says that the word of God is living and powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
So it means that even the word of God is powerful than a physical sword that is used for battle. Because it is sharp and it is powerful. So it means that when you, when you have the word of God, when you study the word of God, when you speak the word of God, when you use the word of God as a weapon for battle, you are able to you know, destroy every stronghold of the enemy. When the enemy throws sickness at you, and then you speak the word of God to the sickness, you are cutting through the sickness with the word of God. When, 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 you are, when, when the enemy says you are cursed, and you speak the word of God that says, I'm blessed beyond the curse, the word of God is established. It cuts through the curse, and it establishes the, pres- the blessings of God. You know, when you, when, you, when you look at the story of Ezekiel, I think Deb spoke about it some time ago. Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord carried him into a deep valley, in the middle of a, in the, in the middle of a valley, where there was dry bones all over. And then he went to and fro, the Spirit of the Lord took him to and fro, and then God asked him a question. Does he think that these bones can come to life? And he says that, Master, you alone know. And then he says that, prophesy to these bones. And when you read the verse 7 of Ezekiel 37, you know, he says something. He said that, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So it means that the word of God is a powerful tool. The word of God is a powerful weapon for the believer. Because for you to be able to make the you know, impossible possible, you need the word of God. Bible says that with, uh, you know, Bible says that with God all things are possible. With Jesus, everything is possible. He is the word. So, so things that are not impossible, when Jesus comes in, it becomes possible. Jesus is also the word. So when we speak the word of God, we are, we, are, we are bringing Jesus into situations. Situations that seem difficult. Situations that seem challenging. Situations that seem to be the imaginations of men. You know, when we, when we enforce the word of God, there is power behind the word of God. The Bible says that it is alive, it is active. It is, it is very potent and it works in the life of the believer. So the word of God is a very powerful tool. And, 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 and one thing the Word of God also does is that, you know, the, the power of the Holy Spirit backs the Word of God such that it's also able to save souls. You know, when you read, when you read um, Acts 2, 37, after the day of Pentecost, you know, the Bible said that Peter preached to 3,000 people. And then he spoke the Word of God. He talked about Jesus Christ. You know, he spoke the Word of God with so much boldness, with so much power. And the Bible said that then when the Word of God came, so that now when they heard this, they were cut to their hearts. That is the power of the word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. So when the enemy, you know, is, is stealing souls, you know, like I told you, one of the ways that the battles the enemy is waging against the world is, the, the world is that he's stealing, you know, souls, you know, from the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness. When we come in and we speak the word of God, we speak the gospel, you know, we, 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 we speak the word of God. There is power, you know, that saves a soul. There is power in the word of God that cuts the heart of a soul. That makes the soul ask, what shall I do? That brings repentance into the life of believers. So the word of God is very powerful. And when you talk about the shield of faith, it is also still connected to the word of God. You know, there is somewhere in the book of First John, I think First John chapter 5, the Bible says that he who is born of God overcomes the world. You know, and this is the victory that overcomes even our faith, you know. But you see, our faith is also rooted in the word of God. Our faith is rooted in the word of God because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So it means that the word of God is really a powerful weapon for the believer. And it is our prayer that we, we study the word of God. It is our prayer that 
we allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to help us understand His word, you know, and apply and enforce His word so that we'll be able to overcome the enemy because it is a powerful weapon we use as, as, as believers. When, when you know the word of God, when you know the promises of God concerning your life, you will not buy into the lies of the enemy. Even when it's difficult, you still trust the word of God that it comes to pass. The Bible said that Abraham trusted against all hope. God has spoken to him. He held on to the word of God. And the word of God brought him his answers. So, so one, one of them is the word of God. It's a powerful tool or a powerful weapon of the believer. And then the second one is godly living. You know, godly living. When you read one of the things in the book of um, Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible talks about the breastplate of righteousness. You know, the breastplate of righteousness. And it, it, it does not refer to the righteous acts of men. But rather, he's talking about the righteousness that is purchased for us by Jesus Christ at the cross. The righteousness that was purchased for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he said that, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, so at, at, at salvation, when we were saved, you know, God specially designed a breastplate for each and every believer at the point of salvation. And it's to protect our hearts and our soul from, you know, the deception of the enemy. Because men can try and use their own righteous deeds. But God does not count the righteous deeds of men. Like, you are acting by your own self. It is the righteousness that is purchased for us through Christ Jesus. You know, because our own righteous acts cannot match the plans and the attacks of the enemy. It is only the righteousness that was bought for us through the blood of Jesus Christ that can help us wage war against the enemy. So as we put on God's righteousness, and as we begin to delight in the will of God, in the ways of God, in the commandments of God, what happens is that, you know, the, the life of Christ robs over our lives. You know, we begin to live out the life of Christ. It, beca- it begins to be evident. It no longer, be- it no longer becomes something we preach about. It no longer becomes something we just read in the word of God, but rather it becomes evident in our life. People far off see that we are godly people. People far off see that we are righteous people. People far off see that the Christ we are professing, we are living that Christ out in our lives. And that is the godly living. And, and as we do that, what happens is that our light shines before men. They see our good works and they give glory to our God. You know, and, and as I was saying that it is not just the preaching we preach that saves souls. But the life we live is also something that is waging a spiritual war in the realms of darkness. It is actually, you are trying to, you know, when you live a godly life, what you are doing is that you are pointing people towards Christ. You are, you are, you are leading, towards, leading people towards your Savior. And, and in a way, in a subtle way, you are actually waging a war against the enemy. Because like he said, he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. To snatch people into the kingdom of darkness. But as you live that godly life, as you live that life of righteousness, you are waging a subtle spiritual war. And you are pointing people to Christ. Because when you read Hebrews 3, 2, the Bible says that we are written epistles. We are known and then we are read by all men. We are known and we are read by all men. I think I got the wrong verse. But we are, we are known and read by all men. That is what the Bible says. That we are written epistles. We are known and read by all men. It means that 
you are not a piece of literature. But then, spiritually, you are a literature that people read. And this is a literature that points people to Christ. So that when people see me, how I love people, how I speak to people, how I treat people, how I live out the life of Christ to people, you know, it is, it is something people are reading. And it is something that will draw people onto Christ. So godly living is also very important. So as much as we study the word of God, we should also leave the word of God out. So the word of God is a powerful tool. When we live a godly life, it's also a powerful weapon we use to wage war against the enemy. And the last one is his prayer. It's prayer. The verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. It says that, And pray in the spirit, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. So, you know, when the Bible was talking about all the, the armor, that the armor we use as, 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 as children of God, it also mentions prayer. It also mentions prayer. And prayer is one of the most effective weapons of the church and also of the believer. So if you, if you imagine a battlefield when, when, when soldiers go for war, you know, before maybe the squadron leader or, or a normal soldier would take an action, what he normally does is that he seeks, you know, he seeks the counsel of the superior commander. And sometimes the superior commander may not even be in the battlefield the superior commander may be sitting in an office in Washington, D.C., you know, giving directives. And, and, and sometimes some of, the, some, of the, some of the things the soldier may ask is to request for, you know, more troops, especially when you are in a time of difficulty and you are being overwhelmed by the enemy. He can ask the superior commander to bring in more troops to help them win the war. Some of the requests he can also make or is to solicit, you know, strategic advice. We are here. The enemy is there. What do you think we do? You know? And then the supreme commander will be somewhere giving tactical advice to the soldiers to win the war. Sometimes, you know, they all just need the green light from the superior commander to make a move. So sometimes when we watch movies, and even the Osama Bin Laden saga, you know, when, when the sniper, you know, aimed at him with the, you know, gun pointing at him, he just needed Washington, D.C. to confirm that should they proceed in shooting. And that's what we see in most of these, you know, military movies. Anytime they go for a mission and they are aiming at something, they aim and they are ready to shoot. They need the superior commander's, you know, green light to take the move. And this, this is very similar to, to we as Christians, you know. We, our supreme commander is God, you know. And, and, and prayer is the means by which we are able to engage the supreme commander. So anytime we want interventions in our problems, in our challenges, in our difficulties, we seek the supreme commander. We pray to him and we call for his aid. We pray to him and we call for his help. So prayer is very, very powerful. Bible says in Psalm 50 verse 15, it said, I call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. So that is prayer. You know, when we pray to God in times of challenges, in times of difficulties, in times when we feel like we are at war with the enemy and things are not working, we pray and we call on the name of the Lord. So believers ought to pray without ceasing. That is the word of God. So it is my prayer that God will help us to have a formidable prayer life. Speak to God, call God, and he intervenes. Bible says in Acts chapter 12, when Herod, you know, 
um, apprehended James and, and killed James. The Bible said that he pleased the people. So because of that, he also apprehended Peter. And the Bible says that the night before, you know, the night to the morning before he will be executed. The Bible says that the church prayed. The church prayed. And that is the power of prayer in the life of the church. The power of prayer in the life of the believer. You know, as the believers pray in unity, as the believers pray concerning a matter, you know, the divine, the, the, the supreme commander who is God comes to the aid of the believer. So Bible says that, you know, there were, there were doors, about four doors, you know, four heavy doors, which was impossible for him to escape. But even as they prayed for him, Bible said that there was a shaking and there was an angelic visitation and doors began to open before him until he escaped the prison. So when we pray as believers, it is, it is a great weapon for us. It is able to disarm the enemy. It is able to bring us out of prison. It is able to bring us out of challenging situations. So prayer is very, very powerful. And when you even need counsel from God, you pray. When you need counsel from God, you pray. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. said, I call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Which you do not know. You know, so there are times, you know, you really need advice. There are times you really need counsel. There are times you, there are situations in your life that you, 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 you think about it and you don't even know the, the root cause. You, you, you seek the supreme commander. You pray to God, you know, and he's able to give you guidance. He's able to give you direction. The reason why David never failed in the battle against the Philistines, like, like Saul did, was because the Bible said that he always inquired of the Lord. So, so he will win a battle against them, and, and any time there was an, a fresh battle, he doesn't go with that same strategy. He doesn't think that, oh, I've beaten him so many times, I've overcome him so many times, so I can overcome him this time, this time too. He still goes to the presence of the Lord and seeks the face of God. And, and God, sometimes God will tell him, no, don't go. If you go, you'll be defeated, you know. And then sometimes God will give him the green light to go. So anytime we pray, we receive the counsel, good counsel from God. And finally, when we pray, what happens is that we receive boldness. We receive like authority. Just like I was saying that when, when, when you need a green light to execute a mission in a battlefield, you ask the supreme commander, can I accomplish the mission? Should I go ahead? In the same way, anytime we seek God and we pray to God, we get boldness. We get, we get the energy. We get the strength. There are sometimes, you see, you feel overwhelmed by situations. But when you enter into a time of prayer, you seek the face of God, you come back refreshed. You come back full of power. You come back full of hope. You know, look at the disciples, Peter and John, you know, hailing the lame man who sat at the beautiful gate. And then now the Pharisees and all these people are against them, threatening them not to mention the name of Jesus again. Bible said that they were so much full of fear, they went back and told the other disciples. But Bible said that when they prayed, Bible said that where they stood shook, and the Bible said that they've got boldness to preach the word of God. So prayer is very, very important and very cardinal in the life of the believer. The word of God is very cardinal, very important in the life of the believer. And living a godly life is also very, very important. And these tools or these weapons, when the, when the believer you know, marries this three, you know, we are able to overcome the gates of hell. We are able to overcome the plans of the enemy. We are able to win the war against the enemy. So this morning, our discussion or our, uh, the sermon is all about the weapons of the believer. So we are talking about prayer, we are talking about the word of God, and living a godly life. It is my prayer that the Holy Spirit helps us, grants us the grace to be able to do all these things.
And by so doing, we'll be able to overcome the works of the enemy. And, and when Christ comes, we'll not be missing out. And may the Lord bless us this morning for his word. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylife at brookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., also Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.